Well, it's been a challenging week to prepare this sermon. And um, I'll tell you why. There's been a lot going on. That's not why, though. Um, one of the things that we've been getting ready for this men's retreat, and we've been, we're excited about that. We're excited about the theme, Join the Resistance, 1 Peter 5, 9, Resist Your Enemy, the Devil. And in all of that, I forgot to put on the front page of the bulletin and on here the date, April 1 and 2, okay? So, you know, I wasn't even thinking. I missed that. But that's not why it's been a challenging week to prepare a sermon. Um, no, that's not it at all. That's actually rather exciting. Um, Karen, she gave me permission to tell you this. We had, she, uh, if you see her today and she's, she's got the cane, I'm saving her having to tell each of you individually. She, um, she tripped. She had an accident and she, she injured her ankle very badly. And, uh, and I feel bad for her and I'm, I'm happy to, to take care of her and I pray for her healing and I hope you will too. Um, and of course that's unexpected. That's just one of those things that happens in life. I'm thankful it wasn't broken, but that's not why it's been challenging to prepare the sermon this week. That's, that, that's not it. Uh, that, that's not a problem. Uh, for me, it is for her, but, um, not for the sermon. The, uh, it's been a busy week. We've had a lot going on, but it's been an exciting week. It's been an exciting weekend. The uh, campus ministries had an exciting weekend, and we've been gearing up and getting ready for this, and you've seen the announcements about it, and I've been telling you everything except the names of the folks who are meeting with us. Because just like the big announcement we did a few weeks ago, I'm learning that if I don't tell you everything in print, you show up and you want to hear more about it, and I like that. And I want to introduce to you today... Evan and Danielle Saxton, who, go ahead, guys, if you want to stand up, if you don't mind, we'll let everybody see you. I know they, they don't want to be in the spotlight, but this is Evan and Danielle. We're thankful to have them here, and it's been uh, encouraging, and in just a moment, I'm going to invite Evan up here, um, but their presence here in the activities this weekend, that's not what's made the sermon preparation challenging. That's, that's not it at all. Um, I'll get to that in a second. What I want to do right now is I've asked Evan to participate in the sermon this morning, and I've asked him to read Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10, and as we did last week, I think it's good to hear it from Eugene Peterson's The Message because it makes us pay attention and hear this scripture, maybe like we've never heard it before. Evan, would you be so kind to come and read God's Word for us this morning? Good morning. Uh, Like Chris said, I'm reading Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10, out of the message. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it, all of us doing what we felt like doing, when we felt like doing it, all of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all this on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up and set us down in the highest heaven in company with our Jesus, our Messiah. Now God has us where he wants us, with all the time in this world and the next, to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. 
Saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does. The good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. Amen. Thank you, Evan. And now, let's see, where was I? Was I going to tell you something? Oh, well, I see. I was, see, what was I going to tell you about? Uh, you don't seem to remember, so maybe I should just move on, right? Um, something about being challenging this week. It was challenging, wasn't it, to, uh, to prepare the sermon? It was. I'm going to tell you exactly why it was challenging now. It wasn't any of those things that we mentioned before. Here's the challenge. This week's going along, and I'm reading Ephesians 2. And everything seems, it seems to be straightforward. All of this talk in there. Ephesians 2 very obviously seems to have something clear to say about what it means to be a Christian. It, it's saying that. And then, and then it's also, the rest of the chapter, the, the, the end of the chapter, is saying something about walls. And there's this image of a wall. And this wall is separating people. And this wall represents hostility. So far, so good. What it means to be a Christian? Walls. I can preach that. Now, the other thing you need to know is, sometime last year, I made a very strong commitment, a promise to myself, that I'm not preaching politics. Because this isn't a political rally. And if the Word of God has something to say about politics, you'll know that and I'll know that. But here I am with Ephesians 2, has something to do with being a Christian, has something to do about walls, and then Pope Francis and Donald Trump step in and start talking about what it means to be a Christian and building walls. And I don't want to have anything to do with politics in the preaching. And yet those guys go and mess with my sermon. So <clears throat> when, when the Pope gets involved too, I'm not sure if it remains politics at that point. Kind of ventures into my world, kind of ventures into my area. So I'll do this because um, I'm gonna—I got to stick with the sermon. I can't abandon it at this point. It's Ephesians two. There's the word of God. And and yet, what I always want to do with God's word is, I never want to talk about people who aren't here. So I guess it would be appropriate if we do address everybody involved. And now that. Francis and Donald have involved themselves in this. First thing I'll do is I'll, I'll say this. Pope Francis, are you here? Okay, I don't think he made it today. Donald Trump, are you here? I think he's busy. So um, they're not here. That leaves me and you to discuss this idea of what it means to be a Christian. And so we're just not even going to let Donald Trump and Pope Francis into our little discussion right here because the thing you begin to realize is who decides what it means to be a Christian? And Pope Francis's opinion and Donald Trump's opinion would be very welcome 
if they were here. How do we know what a Christian is? Again, they're not here. You and I are here with God's Word. So that kind of leaves it down to us. And if we're always testing others, trying to decide, is he a Christian, is she a Christian, we never really get to the, to the question we've got to ask, am I a Christian? Because when I left, thank you, when I left Francis and Donald out of it, I had to ask, is Benjamin a Christian? Because that's really what matters most. That's what I have to focus on. So you can see why it was so challenging. Uh, it is left to us then to determine what is a Christian. And when you read Ephesians 2, that scripture is written for all of us. And that's the scripture we're going to use to answer this, this question, what is a Christian? I think that we begin with a default And even as that question is being played out in the media with um, celebrities and political figures and religious figures, everybody talking academically about or politically about what it means to be a Christian, they're doing the same thing that we tend to do. We go with a default that says, okay, being a Christian has something to do with each of us individually balancing our sins against good works. And I want you to just think with me for a second. See if you believe this could be true. That all of us have ingrained in us, to some degree, this view of balance. That there's a scale. And the scale tips in favors of sins or good works. And, and if, if the scale is tipping towards sins, then you're not a Christian. But if you can balance it and tip the scale towards good works, you become more of a Christian. So if you do good works or do the right thing, then you're more of a Christian than someone who doesn't, and it leans more towards sin. And we may use that to justify ourselves. We may use that to uh, honor others. We may use that to uh, condemn ourselves or condemn others. Just as we said last week, Paul addressed the Ephesians as saints. That wasn't a special category regarded for those who have the balance tilted towards good works. Everybody in Christ was called a saint. If you're not a saint, then what are you? There is no other name. They're the ones who are made holy. So we start with this default very often. Sometimes we don't even notice it. That we're trying to balance the two and we're trying to put more good works out there. The other analogy that's used other than a balance is, um, is a ledger. Accounting. That what you want to do is you want to fill the side of good works with more entries. And it's sort of like doing taxes. That for every good work, you get a tax credit or a tax break on sins. Now, we would never admit to such a ridiculous attitude. But I'm telling you, having done this now for a few years, I talk to people and I realize how we've got to do a better job to get the gospel out. I'm not putting these people down. These are good people. And they say, I just hope that I've done enough good that God will remember me when I die. And it 
it distresses me that people think that. That they come to those final years with that, with that worry. And I ask myself, and no shame to them, but I ask myself, what have I done to give a better view so that when those people reach those final moments, they know that this idea of a ledger or a balance or a scale is not biblical at all. I want you to know that, and I'm preaching that today, and I'll preach it again. Well, that's fine. If we cast that out, then what is the better difference? Well, look at what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2. He said, first of all, there's what you were. He starts out talking about what you were. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. And that's where we get ideas about the balance and the ledger. We get it from the world. Even the religious world, even the default uh, for religion is ingrained in our thinking. But that old way is characterized by being dead, being dead in our transgressions. And sometimes the way it looks to be dead in your transgressions is to lose hope. I'm not talking about people who are all excited because the party's on and they want to jump into transgression, they want to jump into sin because it's a wonderful thing. When we were in campus ministry, we used to have this ridiculous skit that we did. We would take it everywhere, and it was, uh, it was called the Sin Box. And, uh, and, and, you know, I, and I guess it started then because I had to play the role of the, uh, of the condemning preacher in that skit. I, could, I was typecast at a certain point. But the, the whole skit begins <clears throat> with these um, two individuals walking up and they see a box of sin. And they jump in the sin, they start dancing around it, and they say, this is good, this is good. And then one gets out and the other can't. It's a very, it's a very silly way of looking at it, but... I'm not talking about sin that just looks like a a fun pool to go take a dip in. I'm talking about the sin that entraps us, that convinces us, you are dead. You are hopeless. And then that just leads to more despair. It leads to more worry. It leads to more doubt. And it breaks the relationship with God. Because we think there's a problem between us and God. And it destroys our relationships with one another. That's the worldly way of thinking. But Paul says, that's what you were. You were disobedient. You were filled with your own desires. And some of those desires can even be socially acceptable. They can look good. Things like lust, things that, uh, uh, you know, that, that we don't want to speak of very publicly, uh, these sort of things. We look down on those. But ambition, drive, oh, that, hey, you know, you've got to have a little bit of that. We exalt that. And yet, maybe that's not really what we're being called to. So, so there's, there's ways for this disobedient and our own desires to even get a bit of a Christian veneer, kind of a Christian gloss on them. We were filled with wrath. He said, that's what you were. That's where we've been. But then he switches right there in, in those first few verses. He switches and he says, God took our sin-dead lives. He made us alive in Christ. Now what we are is we have life. We know about his kindness. 
We have humility because now we're not so concerned about establishing ourselves or making others pay attention to us. We're unburdened from the need to have everybody know who we are, have others affirm us because we realize that our source of life is in Christ. Now we can do good works, not to balance the ledger, but we do good works because we have a sense that that's our purpose. That's what we were made for. What is the difference then in this scripture? How do you go from what we were to what we are? Under the old way of doing things, the way you got there was you had to load this side of the balance up. I shouldn't even say the old way, but the assumed way. The wrong way. That you've got to load this side up with so many good works that this is either going to uh, uh, go away or be, be, you know, it's going to balance out. Or maybe you can unload some of this. And, and we spend our lives, so many years of our lives, trying not to sin, not to sin, not to sin. Because if I don't sin, then I'm going to be okay. And we may cast out evil spirits. But what do we ever replace it with? But when you look at the way Paul described it, and he doesn't use that framework at all, the way you go from what you were to what you are is this. Verse 5. Verse 4 and 5. And, and, and in, again, depend, I know we're reading a lot of different translations here. But you can see it in many of the translations that this is the strong hinge. This is the key. This is where... The verbs pack power. Verses 4 and 5 says, it starts out, let me frame it, it's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. In other words, that's what could have happened. That's what was certainly justifiable. However, instead, yet, change, immense in mercy and with an incredible love god embraced us he took our sin dead lives and made us alive in christ and that's such a fascinating word he made us alive in christ i know you're saying wait uh, that's like three or four words in it yeah in greek it's one word it's one big strange word that has a bunch of other things attached to it I'm convinced, I can't prove this, I'm convinced that that word is more or less bought and owned by Paul because he's looking for a word that says what God did in us is the same thing he did in Jesus. He brought Jesus back from the dead. He made us alive in Christ. He's tying that right into the resurrection. And the difference between what you were and what you are is the resurrected Jesus. What God did in him. God is the transformative power. God is the one who makes the change. And the more that we rely and trust on him, the more we recognize that he is the one that creates the bridge from what we were to what we are. And even if we're still in that state where we're saying, yes, but what I am today is not what I want to be. Then you need to find the bridge. What I'm going through today, I want to stop sinning. Yes. Then you need to go to the bridge. I want things to change. I want to be what God wants me to be. 
You need to go to the bridge. You need to go to the bridge, Christ. You need to go to the God who makes us alive in Christ. And he does it because of his immense love. By the way, this is not an idea that, I mean, Paul understands this idea in a new way. Because of Christ, because of the way he knows Christ. The idea was out there for thousands of years for Paul to understand. But even Paul, who was so outwardly religious, had his own worldly view of balancing that ledger. Take a look with me at Psalm 145. We say this all the time. Let's rehearse it. God is good and all the time. How do you know that? Who, where do we get that? Where do you see that? You see that in Psalm 145. The psalmist praises God. And one of the things he says about God, verse 8, God is all mercy and grace. He's not quick to anger. He is rich in love. He is good to one and all. Everything he does is suffused with grace. God's immense mercy, his incredible love, his quality, who he is, determines who we are. Well, we've talked about who we were, who we are, but have we said anything about what will we be? As you go on through this teaching, Paul says, and I want you to hear this, because I'm afraid there there could be another mistake that we make. That we look at what we were, and we look at what we are, and as you begin to look at that, that difference, you might start looking back at some of the what we were and you might say but wait i've got a lot still over here on this side i'm still a lot of that what i was i still get angry and i have a problem with anger i still have a problem with my own desires i i still i haven't i haven't i haven't done anything about that i still feel like i may be dead in my sins and again that's the enemy convincing you trying to take you back to the old balanced scales and say it's all up to you to get that ledger fixed. And you need to stop focusing on this. It's a way of saying, that's the past. Move past it. Move to what you are. And what we need is we need a vision of what we will be. Because if we know where we're going, if we know what we're living for, then we're going to know who we are supposed to be. We've got to start thinking as if That's who we are. We've got to start wearing the name he gave us. Listen to what Paul says. He says, you belong here. He's talking to people who had labels put on them by their world. There were the Jews, the descendants of Abraham. For a long time, they have the tradition. They know the stories. And then you had the Gentiles, the people. And now in Christ, because God is working this transformative power in Christ, you've got all these people together, and they still look at those old labels. They can't ignore them. It's still some part of who they are because of where they came from. I mean, you're not going to know who you are if you don't also understand who you were. But if there's any doubt that 
the new addition to the family, these Gentile people who don't know all the customs and haven't read all the books. If there's any doubt, he says, listen, you do belong here. You have as much right to the name Christian as anyone. How can he say that? He can say that because the key to having the name Christian is not what we do. It's not the good works we do to earn the name. It's God who is immense in mercy and great in love. His grace. When we're adopted into his family, it's his adoption, it's his love that gives us that name. God's doing something, you see. He's building a home. He's using all of us, irrespective of how we got here. And despite how we got here, he's using all of us in his building project. He used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. You know, we talk a lot about the different generations in this church. And sometimes we may get very, very worried about that. The younger generations may come along and say, I don't know if I have the right to, to, to be a part of this church because I haven't been here as long as some. And those who've been here for a long time, they may even get despairing and say, you know, we've been here so long, maybe, maybe we don't matter anymore. Listen, if God, if God uses each and every generation and gives each and every one of them the right to be a part of his spiritual family, then don't you think every generation, whether you came here last week or whether you've been here since before this was even West Ark, don't you think that if that's true in the kingdom, then in this church it's also true that each and every one of us wearing the name Christian, you belong. You belong and you matter. He used the generations before us to build the foundation. Now he's using you. What I want to say to each and every one of you here is you matter. It's important that you are here and you have a contribution to make. And if, as long as God is using us and as long as God is putting us in play, it's his decision to make. You just follow him. Christ is that cornerstone that holds us all together and if you can accept that, if you can accept that he is merciful and he loves us, then we will be made alive in Christ. We're, we're preaching Ephesians because I want each and every one of us to have a sense that God has restored us, that God loves us, no matter where he finds us. But he also loves us so much that he won't leave us that way. That he's still at work changing us. Salvation is not just about you and I getting our ticket to heaven. It's about God <clears throat> giving us an amazing purpose to do much more than we could ask or imagine. And we've embodied that. We've embodied that here in so many ways. We, we tell ourselves that. How many times have you stopped to notice these banners from Ephesians? The things that it says. Generations ago, a group of church leaders thought that those passages meant something. You have Ephesians 2.10 right over there, which was our, in our sermon today. 
God made us in Christ to do good works. You have Ephesians 4 over here. Prepare for works of service to build up his body. As I stop and think about it, some of the people who worked on those banners, I mean on the words that would go up there. I don't know all the history there. Those, Those were here when I got here. But some of those folks who read those passages and looked at those, they're no longer here. Some of the leaders who thought that those statements were important, they're no longer here. But that's not what's important. They don't have to be here to make that important. I guarantee you, those generations that found inspiration in these words, they intended for this to be read by you. They intended for these words to make a difference for you. And when you and I are no longer here, we pray that there will be people who will understand those words. And they will live them out. And they'll say, so we were made in Christ to do good works. And there will be people who will be doing good works long after we're gone. That the seeds that we planted will bear fruit. Because God's word endures. I I hope that you will find it possible to trust in his mercy and in his love. And I hope that you will understand that what we will be in doing good works is we will be fulfilling the purpose that he has given us. Now, at this time, I want to make it possible for you to, to respond to God's word in some way. Maybe you need encouragement. If you need encouragement, there will be shepherds here to pray with you. If you want to take that first step from what you were to what you are, and that first step, well, it's, it's the step through baptism. It's a watery step. It's, like, it's birth. It's birth. It's death to what we were, and it's a new birth to what we are and what we will be in Christ. Right back here, there's a room. We call it room 100. You'll see where it's at. You'll see the shepherds back there. Maybe you, you don't want to come down here up front. And I, I don't blame you, and I can understand that. But you want somebody to pray with you. Why don't you go back there and talk to people? Here's the thing. Don't let our enemy, the devil, convince you that you are somehow disqualified from God's mercy and love. Hasn't God done so many amazing and wonderful things to show each and every one of us that we can live for much more than what we could imagine, that he has a great purpose for us. So we're going to sing this song, asking, encouraging one another uh, that the Lord would restore our spirit. And I hope you'll own the words of these songs. Brent, come lead us. Let's stand. Let's uh, sing sing these words together.